All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. I have a lot of verses to read to you tonight, and we won't take time to look at them all by any means. But what we'd like to do is to look at a word in verse 16. The word is the word communion. It appears twice in that one verse. The Lord's Supper is sometimes called communion. This verse is the reason why. The Bible here says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? What does that mean? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? What does the word communion mean? So basically what we're going to do tonight is a word study. We're going to look at the word that is translated communion here and the different places where it occurs in the New Testament. He goes on and he says, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What does that word communion mean there? And it's important to understand this, I think, because, of course, you probably are well aware that the um, Roman Catholic Church teaches that uh, in what they would call the mass, that the elements actually turn into the literal body and the literal blood physical blood and body of our Lord Jesus. I don't know if maybe you're not aware of that, but that's what they teach. They derive that in part from a verse like this and other verses where our Lord Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. But of course, we understand he was standing there, sitting there when he said that. So, of course, it would be quite impossible for him to do that in that situation. Nonetheless, what does this word mean? So, I want you to see how this word is used in the Bible. The same Greek word, if you like Greek, it's kononia, but the same Greek word is used 20 times only in the New Testament. Only four times it's translated communion. Exact same word, Greek word, but it's translated communion four times. It's translated contribution once and distribution once and communicate once and communication once. So what do all those words have in common? In other words, you you have this one Greek word, but it's translated these different ways. What do they have in common? Communion. But then contribution, distribution, communicate, and communication. But that one word is translated 12 times differently. It's translated as the word, I wonder if you could guess, it's translated fellowship. All of these English translations derive from the exact same word. They're all communicating the exact same thing. That's what we want to try to derive tonight. I want to try to compare scripture with scripture and think, okay, what, what, what is the common element that translators struggled in some measure to communicate to us? What is this common concept that is translated fellowship and communion and contribution and distribution and communicate and communication? Well, by definition, of course, we have the word fellowship. Uh, It means association. It means community. Communion, community. 
It means participation. It means intimacy. It means sharing. The point is, the word that we're studying tonight is discussing this concept of multiple people functioning with a common purpose. Unity. Fellowship. Communion. If you took the word communion apart, the C-O-M means with. What does union mean? We know. And so we could ask the question when we come to this supper, what unites us? Why do we have union? What kind of union do we have? What does this union look like? What would God want it to look like? That's what we want to look at as we look at these examples of how this word is used. We can ask the question, so if this same word that is translated in these variety of ways, six different ways, fellowship, communion, contribution, distribution, communicate, communication, who is doing this communion, this fellowship, this, this sharing? And what is it that they're communing about or fellowshipping, fellowshipping about or sharing? And, and I, as I studied this, I grouped them under five categories. Let me share some of them with you. The first one is this idea of sharing or communing or fellowshipping with folks that are in need. It's very interesting to study this. There were four times that it is used that way. Each of these is talking about sharing not just with the needy, someone that is a stranger, not just sharing with the needy who have their hand out. I was, we have a, a family that lives on our street that just moved there not long ago. We've kind of reached out to them, been a little friendly with, they've got a little boy, how old? I don't know, six, seven, I don't know. He'll sometimes ride on a scooter. And I got back yesterday from being out and uh, there he was. And he called to me, which was kind of fun. And uh, he came up to me. And uh, he asked me, aren't you the one that gave me the snake? <laughs> kind of funny story. But anyway, um, he, uh, he, he had been there one of the time, and uh, there's some flowers by our mailbox, and there was a little worm on it. He asked me if he could have it. I said, yes, that's what he's talking about, the snake. <laughs> but the reason why I bring him up is this. This little boy, he, uh, he came up and he wanted to look in the flowers again, and Janice has a little... I don't know, a medallion little thing that sits there. And he said, can I have this? And I said, no. It's my wife's. You could ask her if you'd like, but you can't have it. Now, I don't mean to deprecate the young lad's character, uh, but we didn't teach our children to ask strangers for things like that. <laughs> That's not the kind of needy people that this text is talking about or these texts that we'll read. This is all, every one of these texts is talking about Believers, there is a communion, a fellowship, a sharing that is with believers, and it's quite. Need another one. It is quite. Um, it is quite distinct that it's with believers. Let me read these to you, and I will highlight uh, the word that is translated from our Greek word. Romans fifteen twenty six says this: It hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem, to make a certain fellowship with the poor, for the poor saints who are at Jerusalem, to make a certain communion, to make a certain sharing 
That's the idea. I want you to get this, because if you do, I think it'll be very fertile by the end. 2 Corinthians 8.4 speaks about believers when it says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, that we would receive the gift. And, and the idea is take upon us this fellowship, this communion, this sharing. The very next chapter uses the same word, but translate it not as contribution or as fellowship. It says, 2 Corinthians 9, 13, whiles by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel and for your liberal, here's the word, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Talking about this idea of distribution for the Macedonian believers, the communion, the fellowship, the sharing. And then one more time, Hebrews 13, 16, the scripture says, but to do good and to communicate, that's our word, communicate. Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So each of these has to do with knowing of a believer who has a need and then because of you, they don't have that need anymore. That's the fellowship that he's talking about. That's the communion that he's talking about. It's a little different than sometimes we might think. We might think of fellowship as going to the fellowship hall and eating food. There's nothing wrong with eating food. But that's not it. It's not just spending time together. Communion goes beyond that. It's this idea of something in common, a common purpose and sharing. Uh, let me read to you another verse. This is another time where the word communion, it's translated communion. But watch this one. It's very different. This is not about sharing with the needy. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says... Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we don't, we don't use the word yoke today, but you know what a yoke is, right? You're trying to pull, well, maybe you don't, but when they would try to have a plow or a wagon or something pull, they would take what they called a yoke. And the purpose of the yoke was to make two one. It was to harness two different animals, two different beasts, by that yoke. So they couldn't, they, 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 together they were more than each one would be individually. And they were yoked together. They were joined together. God here says, uh, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But then he gives the rationale. Here's why believers and unbelievers should not be in the same yoke. And you can apply this many different ways. Of course, it can be applied in marriage. It could be applied in a business relationship, that sort of thing, where uh, being partners with a lost person could get you in a lot of trouble and, and that sort of thing. But he's talking about just being very careful and very wise that if you're going to put yourself in a, in a situation where you depend on each other, but you have a completely different view of what, what is valuable in life, you're going to be in trouble. But listen to the rationale. He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Here's why. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Now, when we think about unequally yoked together with unbelievers, we might think, well, we, have, we might have some things in common. 
he takes it to a step further when he says, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And because we're not real righteous, and because we live in a very unrighteous world, and because every one of us has experienced unrighteousness, we might think, well, yeah, but sharing, communion, fellowship, righteousness with unrighteousness, ah, but then he goes on, and he says, what communion hath light with darkness? And what's the answer to that? Absolutely none. That word communion is the word we're studying. Nothing in common. Light has nothing in common with darkness. Sharing with darkness, sharing with the needy, a lot, especially believers. Sharing with darkness, none at all. Now listen carefully here. We'll go a little bit higher here. This word talks about what believers have in common, what they share, what they fellowship, what they participate in, what they commune in with God. We commune, or at least we can, commune with God, only believers. But it's very possible for us to commune with God, to fellowship with God, to participate with God, to share with God. Let me read these verses. There are five of them. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You ever miss somebody? You had to say goodbye to someone. They left. Maybe they, your teenager went to camp or your junior went to camp or older they went to college or what have you and you just, you just missed them and you just wanted to spend time with them. You just missed sharing life with them. I mean, you could talk, you could try to connect, but it just, you, there just wasn't the sharing of life. There wasn't that communion. There wasn't that fellowship. There wasn't that ongoing sharing of the experiences of life with them. You see, what you miss in that, what we miss in that, is exactly what we are called to with Christ. To fellowship with him. To commune with him. To share the experiences of life with him. This is a great privilege. It's not just fellowship with, with other believers or sharing people's needs. But it's the fact that you and I, as the children of God, can walk with God. Of course, it is our choice day by day whether we'll do that or we will just rather be Takers instead of givers. Uh, kind of like the little boy that came and said, can I have that? <laughs> we can be much like that with God, where our prayer life is nothing more than, can I have that? How much better to actually commune with God. Second Corinthians, the last verse of the last chapter, gives a benediction when it says the, this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and... The communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Fellowship with this one, the third person of the Trinity, who the Bible teaches that all believers are indwelled by him. And we can walk through life and no matter what heartache, what burden, what need, what misunderstanding, what fear, we can commune with him. We can honestly, humbly, openly, Tell him what's really going on. He already knows. 
But we get to share that with him, the communion of the Holy Ghost. Philippians chapter 2 says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship, there's our word, of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and Paul goes on in that text and says, fulfill ye my joy, church, he writes to the Philippians, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. What is the basis of unity in that verse? What is the basis of unity in that church? He is saying, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if you have any communion with him, if you have any sense of mercies and, and internal, he says, bowels, that's this idea of on the inside, this sense of sentiment and passion and that which comes from the inside that really says this is important, then be like-minded. First John chapter 1, there's an interesting play on this word here. It's used twice. He says, first, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But then in contrast, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship with him. We can say we have it, but our life proves whether it's true or not. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. <laughs> that should be so humbling for each of us, particularly as we come to this table and recognize that any darkness that we've experienced, any darkness that we've committed, that Jesus Christ has made full and absolute um, pardon and provision for the cleansing and forgiveness of that. And the only thing that can keep us dirty, keep us dirty, is if we refuse to admit it because we won't commune with him, we won't fellowship with him. Rather, we just say that we have fellowship with him and carry on in our own way. 1 John 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and heard... Declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John writes and says, hey, we are telling you the truth. What we saw and what we heard, we are declaring. We are telling you words. We are declaring to you the truth for this purpose, that you may have fellowship with us. And not only fellowship with us as apostles, as believers, we are telling you this, you can have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. There's two more. Sharing. Not only with needy, not only that there's no sharing with darkness, not only do we have sharing with God, but listen to this verse. Completely different concept or context, but same concept. Sharing, fellowship, intimacy, communion. Listen to this, Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul's prayer. He said that I may know him, the Lord Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, there's our word, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And Paul was saying, 
I want to know Jesus. I want to know him in the only two ways that you can. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the most extraordinary power ever demonstrated on this planet. One who was made sin, all sins laid on him, crucified, dead, and buried, and yet he rose from the grave. Paul said, I want to know that power. I want to experience that kind of sin overcoming power in my life. I want my life to be radically in tune with God and his will. The power of his resurrection. But also, not only do I want to know him in his power, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. The sharing of his sufferings. Now how could that be? How could any believer ever share the sufferings of Christ? In what way can we as believers participate, commune, fellowship, share his sufferings? Well, the answer is, whenever you and I have the audacity, if you want to use that word, the boldness, the courage, to share with God-hating sinners something about their sin, it is quite likely, quite possible, that we would be ridiculed for that and mocked and rejected and pay a price for it. And that is sharing the suffering of Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's cross-bearing. It's accepting the reality that there is offense in the cross because proud sinners don't like to hear about their sin. Of course, neither do proud Christians for that matter. And we get very offended sometimes when confronted by our sin. But it uses that exact same word for fellowship. But then perhaps most delightful for our purposes tonight as we're here as a church family, there is not only sharing with the needy and no sharing with darkness, sharing with God and sharing with suffering. But we use this word most often, perhaps, about sharing with believers. Fellowship with believers. Communion with believers. Union with believers. Coming apart from the world. Coming apart from everything we might say out there, if we say outside this building. Coming away from all the filth coming away from all the ungodliness, coming away from the world's values, the world's music, the world's sin, the world's confusion, the world's amazing rebellion against God, coming away from all of that, coming away from all of that that we have to endure and, 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 and really, really suffer with in some measure, the kind of language, the kind of joking, the kind of values, rubbing shoulders with people who see no problem with a boy thinking he's a girl, see no problem with same-sex people hooking up, linking up, bragging about it, talking about that, see no problem with murdering a baby in the womb, on and on and on we could go. See no problem with 
with mocking all that's decent. See, no problem with saying, we just want to defund, kill the police. I mean, sometimes defund, you know, that it gets politically maneuvered a little bit, right? And it's kind of emasculated of its meaning. <laughs> Not downtown in our streets where it's just printed all over, kill the police. We get to come away from that. We get to come away from all that filth. We get to turn off all that filth. And we come to fellowship with believers around Christ. That's this kononia word. That's this fellowship word. That's this communion word. Why are we here? Why are we in this room tonight? Why are we here? Oh, I trust that we are here because we have common fellowship and communion with each other in Christ. Acts chapter 2. The Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, after Peter's sermon and so many were saved, and so many were taking up their cross and seeking to walk with God and claiming this Jesus of Nazareth, as their own personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly. They continued faithfully. They continued without being moved. They were determined, is the idea of steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, there's our word, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Four things are mentioned. Doctrine. Breaking bread and prayers all rising to high level of importance in our thinking, but also this word fellowship. What we have as believers together, where we come together as a church family in communion. That's this idea. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. In other words, Paul and Barnabas, we're going, to, we're going to give you the right hand of fellowship. That is, we are going to commune with you, though your calling is different than ours. You go to the Gentiles, they said uh, to, the, to the heathen, if you will, and we will go to the, to the circumcision, to the Jews. That was the idea. But we have union of purpose and union of doctrine and union in our fellowship. Ephesians 3.9 says, To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. And the context of what he's talking about is this idea of a mystery of how can everybody, both Jews and Gentiles, come together in one body in Christ, which is completely foreign from Old Testament thinking, but not in New Testament thinking. That is what the church is. Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And Philemon, verse 6, uses the word not fellowship, but communication. Listen carefully to this. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So consider again the verse we started with, if you have your Bible open, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The first verse that our brother read tonight. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? 
the cup of blessing which we bless, the idea of we will in a moment say grace, if you will, we will seek the Lord's blessing on the sharing of these elements. And as we share the bread, and as we share the cup, the cup of blessing and the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Is it not that we come together because our fellowship, our intimacy, our participation, our communion is because Jesus died and rose from the grave. In the Lord's Supper, we come together as the children of God to share and participate in fellowship and commune around the significance of a broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus.